if I could gather at least a hundred women who each wrote a check for a thousand dollars. A thousand dollars is a stop and think gift. Now, I was 38 years old. I myself had never written a check for a thousand dollars to a single charity. I'd never done it, but I figured I could. And I also knew the power of that, that if we could get a hundred women to write a check for a thousand dollars, a hundred percent of it would be pulled in a grant and then offered right back to the local community where these women lived, worked, and played. In our very first year when this was just dreamt up, 123 women wrote a check. And we gave away a single grant of $123,000. Welcome to an Army of Normal Folks. I'm Bill Courtney. I'm a normal guy. I'm a husband, a father, an entrepreneur, and I've been a football coach in inner city Memphis. And that last part, it unintentionally led to an Oscar for the film about our team. It's called Undefeated. I believe our country's problems will never be solved by a bunch of fancy people in nice suits talking big words that nobody really understands on CNN and Fox, but rather an army of normal folks, us, just you and me deciding Hey, I can help. That's what Wendy Steele, the voice we just heard, has done. From this first grant from 123 women in Cincinnati, Wendy's idea that she called Impact 100 has spread like wildfire, far more than she could have ever imagined. There's now chapters in 60 cities across four countries, and get this, They've collectively given over $123 million through one $1,000 check at a time. I cannot wait for you to meet Wendy right after these brief messages from our generous sponsors. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snagajob is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On-demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snagajob's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. Like many of us, you might think identity theft will never happen to you. But consider this. There's a new identity theft victim every three seconds in the U.S. That's over 15 million people by the end of this year, equal to the populations of New York, Los Angeles, and Chicago combined. Even worse, identity theft victims often don't even know they're victims. That's why LifeLock Identity Theft Protection alerts you to identity threats, even the ones that don't show up on a credit report, like data breaches, fraudulent bank transactions, loan and credit card applications, and crimes committed in your name. 
If your identity is stolen, your own dedicated LifeLock U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. LifeLock protects you in ways that you simply can't on your own. Join now and save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash iHeart. That's LifeLock.com slash iHeart to save up to 25%. Identity theft protection starts here. Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Wendy Steele, how are you? I am great. Happy to be here. I'm, I'm happy you are here. Thanks for, uh, I guess you just got off a plane, didn't you? Yes, sir. Flight was well, not too bumpy? It was all good. That's that's good. Um, I understand our producer, Alex, picked you up in an Uber. <laughs> yes, he did. That's really impressive. So our producer doesn't even have a car. He Ubered <laughs> to get you. Is that what I understand? Yes, but it was a nice Uber. Oh, well. <laughs> Thank goodness is a nice Uber. Uh, apparently, owning and renting a car escapes Alex. So that's probably another show. Um, an army of normal people who can't drive or something like that. Anyway, thanks for being here. I'm sorry I had to Uber here. Maybe uh, maybe after this thing sells some, some advertisements, uh, he can come up with enough money to get a car to actually pick our guests up rather than Ubering. We can dream. Let's hope. All right. I guess I got to be fair to producer Alex. It wasn't exactly his fault. He bought a new car, and after only five weeks, it wouldn't start. And the stupid part that was needed was out of stock, uh, presumably a hangover from the COVID supply chain issues. And the auto dealer wouldn't take his car back because it was after four weeks, which is ridiculous, but, you know. That's big car business for you. And so Alex literally was Ubering around, picking up our guests. Um, I guess we talk about it on the podcast, but normal people face normal struggles and normal problems. And Alex, the producer, is uh, <laughs> not immune to it. So, Wendy, um so much to talk about with you. Uh, I've, I've read and listened to a lot of your story, and I have a bajillion questions. But as you know, it is an army of normal folks. And normal folks seem to identify with normal folks. So tell me about Wendy, the little girl. Where did you grow up, and how did you grow up, and, and all of those things. Start, start, where you, start where you're born and, and carry me through Wendy the Kid. Oh my gosh. Well, I was born in Connecticut. I am the middle of three girls and my parents, my dad worked for a corrugated box company. And when we lived in Connecticut, he was a regional sales manager. My mom stayed home. Probably with traveled us. a lot then. He traveled an awful lot. Yeah. 
He got promoted when I was in elementary school. We left Connecticut and moved to St. Louis, Missouri, where so he could With be closer to the head office. Exactly. Yeah. Yep. So he went from being a regional sales guy to a national sales guy. We moved to St. Louis, and that is where I grew up. So how old were you and your sisters when you moved to St. Louis? Gosh, I was probably in second grade. So which, seven? Yeah. Yeah, seven yeah, or eight, and probably. your little sister? She is four years younger, so she was just a toddler. Three, and mm-hmm. your older sister? Three years older, so yeah. she was... So, yeah, I mean, your dad gets a big promotion, goes to St. Louis, got a three-year-old, a seven-year-old, a ten-year-old, and living the American dream, it sounds like. Yeah, it was. Uh, St. Louis is a nice place. You know, it's not that different from Cincinnati in terms of the economics really works. It's a beautiful place. Lots of rolling hills, but enough corporate headquarters so that people can really make a living there. Yeah, and the cost of living is not ridiculous like exactly. on the coast. Right, exactly. Either coast, really. Yeah. It's a lot like Memphis. It's Cincinnati, St. Louis, Memphis, uh, a lot. Well, Nashville, not so much. I think Nashville's cost of living has gone through the roof, but a lot of towns like that. And and it is true that a, a lot of corporate headquarters are there. So your dad's there and your mom was a stay-at-home mom? She was a stay-at-home mom, yeah. Got it. So you, you grew up with that, and I, I remember, uh, I think up through eighth grade, you went to the local public school yep. and had a what seemed to be a great childhood and normal family and all of that. That's right. And your mom was an alcoholic. She was. She was a recovering alcoholic for all of my memory. And so a recovering alcoholic is an alcoholic that recognizes she has a disease, but that she's currently not drinking. So I didn't know her as a drinking alcoholic, if that's even the right way to say it. I don't remember her drinking at all, but she had AA meetings in the house. She was, I mean, her recovery was very much a part of our daily life. How old was she when you were seven? Oh gosh. So I have to do the math. So when I was seven, my dad would have been 37, which means my mom would have been 35. Then her alcoholism had to predate way predate children. me. Yeah, although later in life I found out she actually did relapse during our childhood. I just wasn't aware of it. But I mean, the beginning of, of going to AA meetings right. and all of that—that that yeah. must have been. So, do you think your dad dated her when when she was drinking? Yes. Yeah. Wow. I think she quit drinking later in life than when they were dating. Probably when she started having kids. Yeah. Um, there's a stigma around, um, mental illness for Mm -hmm. sure. And, um, I've had people very close to me that struggled with mental illness. And oddly, I feel like certainly I don't want to brush with a broad brush, but that in, in a lot of cases, um, chemical dependency and mental illness seem to go hand in hand. Did you experience that with your mom? Absolutely. My mom, in addition to being a recovering alcoholic, she suffered from depression. She also had very low self-esteem. An example of how that would surface is if my parents were going to talk about what 
what do you want to do on date night or what do you want to do this weekend? And if my mom said, I want to go to a movie and my dad said, I want to try this new restaurant, my mom would believe that her choice wasn't good enough. And so it would sort of turn into this fight about it Did you, does not, that not being break your heart for good her enough. Honestly, I know you were too young then. Her whole view of the world is is just heartbreaking because when you understand that you don't feel as worthy as basically anybody else, mm. it, that's a really hard place to be. Do you think the alcoholism was a a a function of self medication at one time? So so her inferiority complex and her mental not mental difficulties, but her. The, the the struggles that she had probably predated the alcoholism and maybe the alcoholism was her way of self-medicating? That's exactly true. What she said when she talked about how she started with alcohol is that she was uncomfortable in social situations. She would be uncomfortable going to a party. Now, by contrast, my dad was a guy who never met a stranger. He would talk. He was to a national sales manager, of course. He was, but like type he, A, I'm he, sure. Very type A, very genuinely a lover of people. Genuinely remembers everyone's story. Wonderful at making connections. Like he was that guy. My mother was beautiful, but she didn't think so, and very uncomfortable socially. Now, way before they got together. In order for my mom to go out, to go on a date, to go to a party, to go to wherever, to what she started to realize is if she drank at the event, she relaxed and it became more fun until she had to drink before she went out. Mm. And then she had to drink to cope. And the the cruel irony is I'm sitting here listening to you and I'm by no means a psychologist, but... Then she realizes she has a problem with alcohol, and then she feels even worse about herself. Exactly. Right. So sad. So yeah. difficult. And in those days, not only was mental Which illness we're talking not mid, talked late about. 70s when we yeah. say those days. Those days. Yeah. I would say at this point, I'm even talking early to middle 70s. People didn't even talk about being an alcoholic. I mean, if you weren't drinking, somebody would push you and be like, oh, come on, you yeah, can have just have one. Ah, yeah. come on, you know, lighten <clears throat> up. So it was not easy being a recovering alcoholic. And it also was not easy being somebody who struggled with mental illness. And none of it was really talked about publicly. Yeah, it's a, a definitely a different time. So we're certainly going to get to impact 100. <laughs> okay, because that is one of the coolest stories in the world and redemptive and largely defines your legacy. Mm. And um, I'm, I'm so inspired by what you've done. But to, to tease a little bit, it's really about the strength of women as, as much as anything. I mean, certainly it's about philanthropic endeavors, but uh, the strength of women. And so I'm teasing that for our listeners, and we are going to get to that. But as I was thinking about you and your profile, I couldn't help but wonder if maybe some of your incredible drive to pull off what you've pulled off 
stems from a relationship that you have to have with watching a a woman struggle. And I wonder if that plays into it for you at all. Yeah, um, it, it, absolutely it does. There were a couple of things that were happening in my life, even, you know, in these earlier days. One, from a really young age, my parents said to us, not in any formal way, that our job was to leave the world a little better than we found it. And so it would be things like if I was going down the street to babysit the neighbor kids, I remember my parents saying, look, they're going to pay you to watch those kids. So when they're napping or when they're playing quietly, I want you to get up and I want to make sure that the kitchen counter's cleaned up, that you tidy, you put toys away, that you, you wipe down the counters so that when those parents come home, they're paying you to watch their children, give them something so they realize that their home and their kids are better now than when they left the house to go do whatever it is they it's did. It's a great value. It's and a great so, thing. It's carried with you your whole life and everything My you whole do. life. Right. Um, when you borrow somebody's car, return it with a full tank. Exactly. I let somebody borrow my car once they returned it without a full tank. And I'm going to tell you something. I was like, did your parents raise you right? It was terrible. Yeah. So for all those listeners, if you borrow a car <laughs> or, or a lawnmower or anything else, return it with full tank. And if you pick up a guest, do it in a car, not an Uber. <laughs> Words to live by. And now a few messages from our generous sponsors. But first, I really hope you'll consider signing up to join the army at normalfolks.us. Guys, I really do believe that this army can change the country. By signing up, you'll also receive our weekly newsletter that has short episode summaries in case you prefer reading about the army members we're celebrating each week, as well as fun and exciting updates about our movement. Think about it. We'll be right back. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring with access to over 6 million active hourly workers. Snag a job is the all in one solution for hiring high quality employees who can cover all your needs on demand, temp to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position, warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store, clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah. Snag a job's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. 
Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited time 2% cashback on purchases. And pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. You watched your mom, who you loved, obviously struggle mightily, and then you turn around and become this strong woman with this woman-dominated thing we're going to talk about. And I just, I, I couldn't help but wonder reading it, that had to have had some effect on you. What happens when you grow up in a household like that, and, and when I say like that, while my mother was alive, she could be very unpredictable. You don't, you didn't really know what might set her off. And when she got set off, if you will, she would go into her bedroom. She would keep the curtains low. She had migraine headaches and she would have a migraine headache that she may not come out of her room for days. Really? She would sometimes, my dad traveled for work. So sometimes my dad would come home on a Friday from a business trip to a note from my mom saying I had to get away for the weekend. So she wasn't whoa, leaving whoa, whoa, us whoa, whoa, alone, whoa, whoa. That, but she was If you escaping. have a migraine, you get away for the weekend? Yeah, she had to get away. Now, as kids... So what would you come home to? An empty house? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. That had to have been... That had to have been hard. It was hard. It was hard. I think what ends up happening, well, a lot of things end up happening. And uh, by the grace of God, I didn't inherit any of the addictive personality that my mother had. And, and I, you know, I wish that was something that I did. It wasn't. I'm very fortunate in that regard. But what I did learn in those early years is empathy. Because if, if as a kid, if I could read how my dad's day was, when he comes home, imagine he's high pressure, trying to provide for this family, traveling all the time. The corrugated box business, as you might imagine, is, you know, not a, not a clean, straight road all the time. If I could anticipate what he needed, if I could anticipate what my mom needed, and later, I did a lot of the parenting for my little sister. We could keep peace. We could, we things would be good. You do realize that's not the job of a 14, 15, 16, 17 year old. That's hard. It was hard, but it never occurred to me whether it was my job or not. Just it was what, just what. Just what you did. It was what needed to happen. Well, that also explains a lot about how you are where you are now, which again, we're going to get to. Um, so, um, sadly, your mom took her own life and you didn't even know it. Yeah. So that was the summer before my freshman year in high school. Oh gosh. And how, yeah, that's even not the greatest, greatest timing for you. 
No. You're not. going through all kinds of things. Yeah, I was a, 14 and... Everybody at that age is going through all kinds of stuff and you're dealing with the loss of your mom. Right. Well, what happened at the time, so we were on vacation in northern Michigan. My dad was traveling. My mom was with us. She was an avid bird watcher and a nature lover. And so on this given day, she left and said that she was going to go bird watching and she was going to climb the sand dunes. If you've never been to northern Michigan, they are spectacular. Sand dunes in Michigan? Sand dunes in Michigan that, uh, that are covered with the most beautiful pine trees and bushes. And I mean, it's... How are there sand dunes with pine trees? They grow on this? They do. No, yes. I had no idea. Well, you'll have to come. And it's apparently beautiful. there's birds up there too. Apparently there are a lot of birds. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, on this given day, she put our dinner in the crock pot. And my dad was coming home from a trip that night. My grandmother, my dad's mother was going to also come for dinner. And she said goodbye. She was leaving. So she drove away words. in her red station wagon for the day. Well, my dad came in, my grandmother arrived. Mom never came back. But, but you just told me that sometimes your mom would go away for a couple of days. So I guess you didn't really freak out because we did not freak out. Well, and past behavior shows that she would do that. Sometimes. I will. You're absolutely right. Um, and as a kid, I wasn't worried in that moment for exactly that reason. Now, my dad was worried, but I didn't know it at the time. And what ended up happening is my dad finally called the police and the police found her car quite a distance from the sand dune where she was found. Now, my mother was deathly allergic to bees. And so we were told mm. that she yes, had don't. passed away. She was stung by a bee and she had left her EpiPen in the car two miles away or a mile and a half, whatever it was. And once again, because like alcoholism and mental illness, suicide was a kind of a, a, a hands-off thing you didn't discuss. It was very taboo. Taboo, yeah. for sure. And so for the children, that was the story. Right. Now, and, how old, and you were 14. I was 14. I meaning was your sister was 17, 17 and, and 10. Oh gosh, You're, I, I'm sitting. My heart's breaking for your father. Actually. Well, and my father was 44 years old. So you think about being in the prime of your career as a salesperson, providing for the family with three girls, and you have to travel. Who's going to watch my kids? Well, exactly. It was yeah. It was unbelievable. The other piece, um, you know you have something like this happened apparently it was on the news like the the police scanner like apparently people knew how mom really died oh we, you're kidding people in the neighborhood and but stuff we didn't know oh my gosh and and i again i didn't find out any of this until until much later my older sister was and is a woman who She's kind of a rebel. She goes her own way. She's that person who like wanted to be a grown up from the time she was a young, like a toddler. <laughs> and it. so 
when I was in eighth grade and all of my girlfriends were going to go to this all girls Catholic high school and I'm not Catholic. My family, no one in my family is Catholic. And I tell my parents, I want to go to this all girls Catholic high school. My parents wanted me to look at other options. And one of those options was a boarding school in the Berkshires of Massachusetts. Now, I had great friends in the neighborhood. I wanted to go to the Catholic school because that's where they were that's going. That's where your friends were going. I certainly was not going to go look at basically anything yeah. else. Well, my older sister got a Said, look at I'm this book. Said, I'm all about the boarding and school. And she's I'm like, wait a second. This is like going to college when I'm still in high school. Bye-bye. And wow. so when our mom passed, Joanne, appropriately, went back to high school. My dad went back to work, and Tina, who was 10, and I were at home. Wow. And my dad- you lonely? That's probably not the right word. I was, I think I was more broken yeah. than sure. I ever really let myself realize, but I wouldn't have called myself lonely. I've been really blessed to have good friends and may sometimes not lots of good friends, but a, like a core group of a good, good nucleus of friends. Real friends. And I also found this, this interesting community of women who kind of came in and helped out. I mean, you mean. When you were a kid, a community of women from the neighborhood, the school, friends, moms, that kind of thing. After my mom died. So right. when my mom was still alive, they didn't have very much of a social life because my mom wasn't comfortable. So right. I didn't see a lot of women come to the house when my mom was alive. But after she passed, you know, women kind of paid attention and without being asked, without any fanfare, without any organization. Sure, in the beginning, we got casseroles delivered to the door and we got mm. notes and all that. Yeah, but that ends. That ends. These women stuck around. I mean, the, in the public school, I would have taken the school bus. In the private school, you needed to carpool. And suddenly these moms were saying, gosh, I have a reason to go in that direction. I want to do extra days of carpool. Or they would... Invite. So the, you had a community that surrounded you. Yeah. And my dad and my sister. We were very, not, you can't say very, but the people who stepped up, they stepped up big. And they did it well, even see, when it wasn't convenient. That's another example of what was formative to you. Right. In terms of what you've ended up doing. I, I have a, did it ever I mean, is it possible that on those weekends that your mom split that maybe she was falling off the wagon and was trying to get away from everybody with accountability? In hindsight, maybe. Um, although she managed to come back. And mm. what I know about that is that it's possible that she fell off the wagon. But for her to be able to stop and then come back. That'd be tough. Yeah. It, that feels like maybe not. but. I don't know. Bless your mom's heart. She just wasn't comfortable in her own skin. No. No, she wasn't. And your father had to have known that. And he's traveling and doing a big job and trying to raise a family and provide for a family and three girls at home. And then he deals with the suicide of his wife at 44 years old. I mean. 
Right. A lot of trauma. Yeah, he had a lot. But, you know, he was, and again, so my mom died in 1977. Um, in those days, dads really didn't didn't parent kids, right? It was really the mom. And dads were not that outspoken. Our dad told us he loved us every single day. Mm. He was very emotionally present with us, um, which- That's amazing. Is a gift. Yeah. He, I mean, my dad really- he really was amazing. He was not a perfect dad. He was tough. We Nobody's had a lot perfect. of chores. We had all the things, you know, he was strict. He was all that. But he was authentically a great guy who genuinely loved us and genuinely loved the community. Like he was just that larger than life And he guy. had to put on this tough face when you know he was dying inside. Right. And didn't have anybody who he could really share yeah, who does the world he talk with. To? Right. He did go to a therapist, I will say. I mean, my dad did get some help. Good. And one of the early conversations after all this happened was, and I wasn't supposed to overhear it, but my dad was in a conversation with his therapist, whose name was Paul. And Paul said, you know, you look at what's happening to these girls. They are at risk. You've got, you, you are Meaning one you of girls, the, his girls, yeah, you guys, yeah, yeah, us. You are lucky that you can bring people around them. You need to pay attention. And I remember very shortly thereafter, I started to realize like, A, I didn't feel very lucky, just to be clear. I didn't feel very fortunate. But I also realized that, you know, I did have people who poured into my life. I did have a dad who genuinely cared. I mean, gosh, he could have, you know, said, I can't do this. I'm done. Um, There are a lot of things that could have happened. And it was in that time frame, you know, within the weeks after my mom passed, that I heard the quote there, but for the grace of God go I. To this day, in fact, the bracelet I took off says there, but for the grace of God go I. It is what grounds me is that, first of all, yes, this terrible thing happened, but I'm not so naive to believe that I'm the only person who's had a terrible thing happen. I was very fortunate to have my dad's mom and my mom's parents really take an interest in us and really pour into us in significant ways. And so did school and so did the moms. And so I wonder how people would get through it if they didn't have that. And I think the difference between people who are okay, whether that's okay economically, okay with food secure, with emotional well-being, the difference between those who are okay and those who aren't often isn't what anybody does or didn't do. It is pure grace. And I was on the receiving end of a lot of it. We'll be right back. Snag a job is where America goes to hire 
with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snagajob is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On-demand, temp to hire, part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snagajob's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited time 2% cash back on purchases and pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. Your mom dies and uh, you're entering eighth grade and you're going to a new school, right? Mm-hmm. And I think I read it was a Catholic school. I'm not Catholic, so but I have had friends that go to Catholic school and the uniforms and the brothers and the nuns and the rulers on the knuckles and the whole thing you've heard, whether or not that's true <laughs> or not. But tell me about your experience at Catholic school before you went to college. Oh, my gosh. So all the bad things about Catholic schools. I experienced none of that. Now you have to understand that my dad, his idea of the right place to shop for girls clothes was Sears. (laughs) (laughs) Tough skins and granimals. Amen. Yes. (laughs) So you had a peek into my closet. My dad left when I was young. My mom had worked hard, but didn't have any money. And I hated tough skins, but because they had this, they had this plastic patch on the inside of the knee to keep the knees from wearing out. But yeah. during the summer, when you sweat, it hot. meant that stupid things would stick to your skin. And then the stupid granimals, where if you got the shirt, you matched it. Th- uh, but it's That's, where we went, and I do remember. Did the Sears you shopped at in the very middle of it have a little like snack bar at all? <laughs> I do don't remember, remember that? that. Are you kidding? If there was a snack bar, I would have been there. Okay, well ours we did, and they had warm cashews for you could get a bag for a quarter. Ooh. And the only reason I would go try on tough skins because my mom would cough up a quarter so I could have some warm cashews. They're so good. <laughs> that sounds really good. That may have swayed me, but. So anyway, you're telling me as a 
14, 15 year old girl who's trying to figure it all out, wants to be pretty and everything. You're getting your dad and his infinite wisdom is taking you to Sears for your pretty clothes. Exactly. Yikes. So let me tell you, I was probably the only one in that ninth grade class that I was thrilled with those uniforms. Yeah, I bet you were. Those uniforms were the great equalizer. To this day, I have often said, and my younger sister and I often talk about animals and often talk about, because even when our mom was alive, we got our clothes at Sears and they were grand animals. <laughs> that's just what your dad said. It was just as where we got were it. going because it was a good yeah. value. Yeah, that's and right. So part, Plus they had Craftsman's tools. The, oh, yes. Where else could you buy a wrench and a pair of jeans? And, <laughs> and a party dress. Yeah. <laughs> Perfect. Let's go. <laughs> All the makings for a good time. You yeah, you got that too. We yeah. probably and, did get our refrigerator. some crappy knockoff penny loafers that weren't fast Weegans, but they had them. <laughs> Because <laughs> I had to buy the cheap knockoffs too when I came up. I remember all of it. Oh my gosh. So yeah. anyway, you so loved uniform Catholic was school when fantastic. you showed up because you had a uniform. I knew hand. what to wear. Yeah, yeah. got it. It right. was better than Granimals. You know, and and it was it was nice. It was structure. Um I was there with my friends. I felt the most alone in the beginning of my time at the Catholic school is called St. Joseph's Academy. So St. Joe, in the beginning of my time at St. Joe, I felt very alone. I was literally the only non-Catholic. You just lost your mother. And I was the only one who didn't have a mom who was packing lunches, dropping them off at school, picking up your after school, doing week. slumber yeah, parties. Well, I mean, very alone. It was, And your big it was sister's hard. off in Massachusetts somewhere too. Right, right. So I went to my little sister's parent-teacher conferences. I, as the parent? Yeah. Wow. I mean, when my dad was out of town, I mean, not as the, no one mistook me for the parent, but yeah, I went to represent my dad. Unbelievable. At those places. That's big shoes to fill. That's a lot so for a girl going through her own trauma. I mean, a kid. You know, I, I think in part it was the way I'm wired. A lot of it, it's not. No one ever said to me, Wendy, I need you to do this and then this and then this. It was just innately how I coped. It was just well, how may, I did maybe what in I did. some small part, what your mom taught you is that you were cleaning the counters. Right. That was what was expected. And so after you put the kid down in their jammies, you cleaned the, cleaned the counters till the parents came home and you were acting that out and, and yeah. later in life. All right, y'all, I promise we're about to get to the story of Impact 100 and how the idea came to Wendy while she was a banker in Cincinnati. But we're not going to do it until we tell one last story about Wendy's family and how her dad met her mom. He was up near Walloon Lake, but in the off season, so none of his summer friends were around. So we went down to the marina, and there's a woman named Esther Simpson who ran the marina. My dad used to work for her, and he popped in, and he said, Esther, I'm up here. None of my friends are here. Is there anybody fun? I can Anything going on? Anything I can do? She said, well, there's a local girl, and her name is Margot, and you should call her up. And my dad called my mom. So your mom was from there. She was from Petoskey, which is the town right next but to Walloon. Up there. She was there. Was. That was home. That was home. Wow. She was a local girl. And so they dated. And of course, you know the rest of the story. Um, years later, 
dad is up on Walloon Lake in the summer. He goes to Esther Simpson. This is about three or four years after mom had passed. He goes to Esther Simpson, who's still running the marina on the lake. No. And he says, oh, Esther, my friends are all giving me a hard time. I'm supposed to bring a date to the country club dance. You're not going to tell me. And she says, you really ought to look up Cynthia Bedell. And dad Are says, you kidding me? Exactly. Did he marry her? He married her. Oh my God. He married her. <laughs> if it wasn't for Esther Simpson, your dad may have never had a date. Ever. <laughs> At least not a good one. Esther yeah. Simpson. Yeah. When when she passed, we all teased my dad like, okay, you yeah. better make this work, <laughs> yeah, pal. This because work, you're screwed. You're never going to get another date. It's over. That yeah. is a hilarious story. Yeah. Unbelievable. They were married in, I think, 1984, and Cinny is is what she goes by. She's my stepmom and amazing. She's still living. My dad's been gone for about 10 years, but yeah, happily ever after. So what happy. a crazy story. So yeah. sorry, that was a way <laughs> off, but well worth the story. That's hilarious. So now we're going to get to your flanchby. Um and and tell tell me the story. I, I I think it's great about um you you heard a story once about how I'm just gonna say it candidly and I'll let you unfold it so people don't think I'm a misogynistic jerk. How um you found out that men were better fundraisers than women and you wanted to fix that. <laughs> so tell us that. So because you've made a farce out of that misnomer, but <laughs> I think it kind of sparked you. So tell me it about did. it. It did. It was definitely a part a part of the story. I had heard a story about a church that had gotten in financial trouble. And so the lead pastor called in the senior staff and they called in the head of the men's guild and the head of the women's guild and laid out the problem. And they needed to raise a lot of money really quickly. So the senior staff went out and they collected receivables. They tried to get extended payments. They did everything they could to cut costs, to, to sell things, to downplay. The head of the Women's Guild went out and she gathered her team. In my word, they had bake sales. They had car washes. They had rummage sales. They worked. And in two weeks, she happily... Needlepoint. They were doing it all. Every, all of the... All of the uh, stereotypical women thing to do, right? Go out and raise money. Go this is what money. we're going to do. We're all going to work our fingers to the bone and do all these cool things and bake cookies and have a... And they all did it. They were all in, all these women. And they worked harder the than they have ever harder. done. Yeah, working hard. She was so proud to deliver this big check to the pastor. Of... I think it was eight thousand dollars. Eight thousand. Which is a lot of money. Which three that's weeks. A lot of money. A lot of work. Well, that's a lot of bacon. A bed is a lot of bacon. Yeah. Well, as she's getting ready to walk out, the head of the men's guild walks in, and she's curious, feeling probably cocky and a little competitive. Yeah, sure. Why not? Sure. They worked their tails off. Well, he handed a check to the pastor that was many times more than what she did. Like a number. Like twenty-five grand. Like a lot of money. And she said, Ego killer. I don't get it. Like, yeah. I, I don't get it. How is this possible? 
And the guys, none of you guys cooked or baked exactly. or worked or washed clothes. I haven't seen you lift a finger. Did whatever. Yeah, we've been working our butts off. What'd you do for what? your twenty-five How'd grand, you dude? Do this? Yeah. And he said, "Well, I thought about what I thought my family could give, and I wrote that check, and then I." called my friends and I saw Joe on the golf course and I saw so-and-so here and my friends are generous and they believe in the church and so you know that's how I did it and what struck me about that is that the women it wasn't just one this whole group of women they all knew the situation not one of them thought maybe I can write a check not one of them thought that they all thought we've got to roll up our sleeves and we've got to find a way to make something from nothing. And the men had an entirely different view. Now, my banking background tells me that it was only in the middle 70s that women could do anything outside the home in a meaningful way, but it was like 1984 that women could own their own credit card without having a father, a brother, or whoa, a whoa, husband whoa. Are you serious? co-sign. You're telling me in, up until 1984, a woman could not have her own credit card? What about a single unmarried woman? She could not get bank credit. It Are you was, kidding me? It took a law to change that in a 1984. A federal law? A banking regulation is, I guess... Hold it. Uh, now, now, see, this is what I said. I mean, this is not in my notes. So, <laughs> you're telling me in 1983, when I was a in high school, my mom couldn't get a credit card unless her father co-signed. So don't hold me to the exact day. But I can tell there. you this. She couldn't get a loan if she wanted to start a lumber company or if she wanted to start a dry cleaning business or if she wanted to fill Whatever. in the blank. She, tip she was typically unable to get any kind of credit unless it was co-signed by a by a husband, a brother, a father, by a man. So I looked it up after the interview and what Wendy was saying is absolutely true and even shocking to me. Until the Equal Credit Opportunity Act was signed into law in 1974, we're not talking 1920 here, 1974, banks could refuse to issue women a credit card if they were applying for it on their own without a man co-signing for it. I know you know. <laughs> I am flabbergasted at that. You had women who now we were able to work outside the home and we were making our own money. And starting to do that. And we were able to do that. But when you look at how philanthropy started in this country and everywhere, men went off and worked every day women stayed home and took care of the kids. And when the kids were old enough to be in school for a little while, women had free time. And the way they used their free time, other than cleaning the house and doing all the things that women did, is they would go out and serve the community. They would go and volunteer. They would help each other. They PTA, would have and knitting circles. And all they would do all of that. Well, you know, I, got, I, I have to interrupt you. 
I'm I'm going to tee this up for you and let you work on it. Okay. Okay. Some would say that was a better time. Oh gosh. I would not say that that was a better time. Unfold it. Uh, here's the thing. There are women for whom that option is ideal. And so I believe when we get too prescriptive about what a, quote, real woman might be or not be, then I think there are women who ought to be able to choose that path and thrive and enjoy it and not be judged for it. I also think that there are plenty of women who would choose another option. So I believe that until all women can live there to their fullest potential, we're choosing whichever path, right? We are shortchanging society because what I can tell you is better decisions are made when you have multiple lived experiences. And so I'm not going to ask you this, and you can feel free to cut all of this you out know, of whatever we're not goes cut it. I love this, but you can ask. <laughs> but I don't know how many women you have working with you, but if you have all white men of a certain age, whatever your age, I think you said you're in your mid-50s, if you have a bunch of 50-year-old white men making all the decisions, you are likely missing part of the story because women who have different lived experiences bring different perspectives. And so when, and frankly, although everything we've talked about is how great women can be to each other, unfortunately, sometimes women are not great to each other. And sometimes it's women fighting women like, gosh, you shouldn't work outside the home or you, you know, you should work outside the home. My stance on this is each of us come with our own unique gifts. We have to make sure that society, that the economy, that the places we live, work, and play allow women to be who they were born to be. Whether that is to go be an engineer or to be a stay-at-home mom or to be a teacher or a physician or a scientist or fill in the blank, we need to do that in the same way that we need to allow men to be exactly who they were born to be. Whether that's Stay home and raise kids, be a nurse, be a teacher, be an engineer, be an entrepreneur. So you're saying there's gender stereotypes that existed in the 70s and 80s that um, were rightly broken in our society, but we still have a long way to go. Exactly. Okay. So back to your story. The guys made a few phone calls, wrote a check, and raised 25 grand. The women worked their butts off for three weeks and raised eight. And the difference was that the cultural norm of the time was that a man could write a check and a woman couldn't. Right. Now, see, I find that interesting. And it wasn't, make no mistake, there was no man, uh, at least none that I've ever heard of, there were no men ever saying to women, don't you write that check. No, that wasn't that. the thing. It was a cultural it was mindset. In, it was inherent. Um, and so... The old ways of women being involved in the community, it was all time-based because that was the asset they had. I get it. But not anymore. We'll be right back. 
Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snag a job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snag a job's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited-time 2% cashback on purchases and pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. So, Wendy, you decided that you wanted to surround yourself with some check-writing women. (laughs) Tell me about it. What I knew is that, (laughs) so when I moved to Cincinnati, I got involved in the community in a big way because I didn't know anyone and that's how I met people. I was finding women who would tell me all the reasons why they couldn't be involved in the community and the ways that I was trying to bring them in. So I was doing some work for a local, uh, for the local zoo at one point and for a local hospital at another. And we were either putting on a gala because that's the way we raise money, or we were working on another campaign to help raise money for the garden, Civic Garden Club and others. And the women even if they were interested in what I was doing, they had reasons that they said they couldn't do it. They would say, well, I can't really justify to pay a sitter $10 an hour because I'm a stay-at-home mom so that I can go volunteer with you. Or they would say, I work for Procter & Gamble. I travel all the time. I can't go to these regular meetings. Now, in my world, I was still a private banker, but every bank I'd ever worked for valued community service. So Mm. I never had to take a vacation day to go serve my community. I never had to take time off to serve on a board of a nonprofit. And that was my discernment in a future employer. I I hear that. and And I think about the mom who says, I really can't afford, I, I don't think it's right to pay a sitter so that I can go because the, the amount of money they're paying a sitter 
it's probably not really the deterrent. But it feels like it. Oh, I understand. But that is also, to me, cultural mm -hmm. and even maybe touches paternalism a little. I think you're right. I think that there are lots of negotiations that happen in families when right. women choose to about. stay home. That it's, you know, they may be on a budget. Because... I mean, it reeks of barefoot and pregnant to me. <laughs> it just does. Yeah. And I don't know that, that stay-at-home moms would necessarily feel that well, way. Well, I'm just saying but in that I... particular instance, you can, you can yeah. absolutely feel that. Yeah, absolutely. Cultural uh, barrier, I guess, for some folks. Definitely. And so you saw that and wanted to break through. I did. And during my time when my kids were little, there were times in my life where I was a full-time stay-at-home mom, where I worked part-time or when I worked full-time. But because community service was always very important to me, when we built the budget of can I stay home, there was a component of community service. There was a component of me not staying home all day, every day, but getting help, you know, help with kids, maybe help even sometimes with cleaning. But the idea was it's negotiated like on the front end, but you have to know what you need in order to do the math, right? Got it. So that's what was happening. And 90% of what women were involved in was time-based. And when you don't have time, you can't participate. And that so to how me was can you a raise the twenty five thousand dollars the men do when it's time based and you're squeezing every little time you can out between a job, children, whatever. Exactly. So So it's time to change that. Now I I sat with a spiral notebook of every objection I'd heard and I started just figuring it out. <laughs> That's funny. Um and as a banker, I knew that part of the equation was women had to give enough to remember it. Now, remember in these days, there were workplace campaigns and you would give pre-tax and therefore you wouldn't feel it. And what I know to be true and knew then is that it's important as a donor to be connected to the gift. If you take it out of my paycheck and I never miss it, I likely won't feel connected to the organization that it's going to. That's a good point. So if I leave my place of employment and my new job doesn't do that same thing, I don't necessarily have an affinity. That pre-tax taken out of my check too almost feels like I'm checking a box to make myself feel good, but not because I'm truly engaging in a philanthropic endeavor in my heart. Yeah. I, well, and you can't really get connected because you don't see it. Right. And it's just like being connected to your other taxes that get pulled out and your, you know, whatever goes into your IRA, like those things, they just go away. Right. And your day-to-day -day thought is about what you live on. So my theory was if I could gather at least a hundred women who each wrote a check for a thousand dollars, a thousand dollars is a stop and think gift. Now, I was 38 years old. I myself had never written a check for $1,000 to a single charity. I'd never done it. But I figured I could. And I also knew the power of that. 
that if we could get 100 women to write a check for $1,000, pool 100% of it so there'd be no talk of, you know, what percent is going to this and what percent is going to that, the 100% would be pooled in a grant and then offered right back to the local community where these women lived, worked, and played. The nonprofits would then apply for those grants. If women wanted to understand the process, if they wanted to get involved, they would be trained how to read a grant application, how to make a site visit. Ultimately, we would, through our membership, identify five finalists, one in each focus area. So we would be women giving to community, not necessarily women funding women and girls. And so these five- And women given communities the way the men at the Catholic Church did, not by having a bake-off. Exactly. And isn't there, ironically, some kind of power in that? A huge power, huge power. Once you have written that check for $1,000, your worldview starts to change. Right. But it also, it really changes when, when you're you give it away. When you're giving away in in our very first year when this was just dreamt up, 123 women wrote a check. And we gave away a single grant of $123,000. This is after fielding over 100 grant applications. Wow. And then we identified five finalists, one in each what, focus what, what area. What are the categories? Education. And, and these categories haven't changed. No, they haven't changed. By the way, what year are we talking? We're talking 20-something. 2001. 20 um, this is this, this year. summer of 2001, I had the idea. And we, so that was summer, 9-11 happened. So everything yeah. really changed. At the end of October, we met as a board for the first time to say, are we going to do this or not do this? We decided to go ahead. We got our nonprofit status, 501c3, by March of 02. By May, 123 women had handed us a check. We couldn't take credit cards. Like, it was literally a paper check. We got a, about 112 or 114 grant applications across the five focus areas are education, environment, health and wellness, arts and culture, and family. When all those five areas how, are thriving. Say those again. Say those again. Education, okay. environment, arts and culture, health and wellness, and family. So you got five grants, five, you got five of these five categories and all, and a hundred people applying for this 123 grand. Yeah. How do you decide who gets it? The women who joined, they signed up to serve on one of these focus area committees. When the nonprofits applied, they applied to one of these committees. Oh, the, the, the 123 check writing women. Exactly. Are on each one of these committees and each committee has a committee chair. Exactly. Okay. So the idea is part of what Impact 100 does is it democratizes philanthropy. So today and, and then. That's cool. It democratizes philanthropy. Well, if you can write a really big check to, let's just say, the art museum. You can write a really big check to the art museum. You can tell them what to name the exhibit. You can tell them what art is allowed to be brought in. I understand what you're saying now. You might even be able to design the architecture of the room. 
if I write a check for a thousand dollars, I'm I'll get a tax letter. I might be listed in the sea of names of givers, maybe in their annual report or on their website. I won't know when they spend the money. I don't know how they spend the money. And if I ask, I'll probably just hear crickets. Like they they aren't equipped to tell me what happens. Now, if in partnership with 122 other women, we decide where the money goes. And so if a woman has the time and the interest, she will learn how to read an application, how to vet it, how to do a site visit. But if she doesn't have the time, it's still one woman, one donation, one vote. So if someone's wealthy enough to write a check for five thousand dollars, she so can't that, buy five votes. You're telling me that first time there's 123 votes and you tallied them up. Yes, that is so cool. It was really and cool. All of it went to one one cause. Yeah, phenomenal. Because the other thing that I learned, so I knew what women needed, but I also knew what the nonprofit world needed. And if you talk to anyone running a nonprofit today. Fundraisers, they're out asking for money all the time. And when they get it, they get 10,000 here and 15,000 there. It's wonderful. It, it does move the needle a little bit, but it's a lot like that manna from heaven. You have it today, but tomorrow you better be out there again gathering because- But 123 grand is a real number. Now it's a game changer. Now they can really do something that is sustainable, and transformational. Those are the lenses we look at. And that concludes part one of my conversation with Wendy Steele. And I hope you'll listen to part two that's now available. The Impact 100 story is really just getting started. And guys, I really want to take a moment to stress one thing. While giving $1,000 sounds like a lot, and I mean, it is, it's a lot of money for most of us. Maybe if you step back and put it in context, it becomes more achievable. Um, If you take $1,000 and divide it by 365 days in the year, that's $2.73 a day. Y'all, that's less than a cup of coffee at Starbucks. And if you consider what that $2.73 a day has done for all the people throughout the organization, maybe that context helps you think about how much $1,000 is and really how much it isn't. And the impact of this type of gift upon ourselves is way more than that dollar amount could ever account for. Guys, I'll see you in part two. Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. 
Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited-time 2% cashback on purchases. And pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. Hey, guys. Back at the playground again, huh? Yep. You know what this playground could use? A wine country. Heck, Yeah. And some waves, so we could go surfing. Oh, <laughs> ah, love that. A redwood forest would be cool. I'm in. Ah, ski slopes. Let's do it. Um, can a girl go shopping? Yeah, baby. Wait. Did we just invent California? Discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com.